0: everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at Exodus 14 today. This is the big moment it's all been building up to, the crossing of the Red Sea. And this is is really big, I mean, not because, of course, it's just awesome, uh, the actual account that we have. You've got this, I mean, it's an amazing story. It's one of these stories that um, I love to read my daughter's. Um, it's one that we we all like remember, and you know you sing about, and you know how all the, the army of Pharaoh is drowned in the sea. But it's the turning point in a lot of ways for uh, the whole the whole book of Exodus, where it, it, you get the end of the defeat of Pharaoh, and then the really the, the real beginning of these wilderness wanderings. Uh, so it's really a turning point, even not just for the book of Exodus, but It's a big turning point, really, for the whole first five books of the Bible. So really big stuff we're looking at today. Uh, Eager just to go ahead and dive into it. Uh, We are having a little bit of trouble reaching our our guest today. We'll see if we get him or not, but uh, regardless, I know that we'll have plenty to look at and to talk about uh, just between going over the text and looking at um, the questions and comments from from just you guys. So uh, maybe a good opportunity to go ahead and call in uh, with those questions and comments. It's 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850 if you're in St. Louis. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can always, uh, if you join the live stream, I haven't started the live stream yet, actually I need to do that. Um, but I'll <laughs> we'll get that going in just a second. Uh, we'll get that going. Uh, Facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll get that running in just a moment. Uh, but uh, before we go ahead then and turn into the, the text, let's just go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this this new day, this new week. We thank you for your goodness that is new to us every morning. We thank you for your forgiveness that we can start this day afresh, knowing that our sins have indeed been forgiven. We can start this week afresh, knowing that indeed our sins have been forgiven. Just as much as you wiped out Pharaoh and his army, you have washed away our sins, never to be seen again." Help us to see in this image today, the image of our own forgiveness and salvation, which you have won for us as you've made us part of your people. Bless us in our own wanderings that we would be guided always by your word, that we would trust in you no matter the circumstances, by faith in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. So looking at Exodus 14, um, I'm just going to go ahead and start this uh live stream here on on facebook just i want to make sure that they're not left out all right so now we've got everybody everybody can can join us here we're looking at exodus chapter 14 now a couple things to be looking out for uh, like we said last time the geography is a little bit interesting right because we you, you kind of just it, it gets blurry sometimes because you just think to yourself, okay, well, you know, there's this kind of Passover thing that happens and then there's the Red Sea. But we actually saw that in chapter 13, they, they go to Sukkoth first out in the wilderness. So they actually make it out there to the wilderness. Um, now, it's probably the case that they didn't actually do uh, the full seven-day um, celebration like they uh, were talking about. Uh, but the point is that they, they do. they talk about it and they reflect on it. Um, and and this anticipates the, the worship in the wilderness, which is really going to be fulfilled um, at Horeb in, in many ways. So uh, you, you got this change of location. So here we are changing location back where, you know, God takes them out of the wilderness only to take them back. And that move of, oh, hey, look, we're going forward. We're almost, we're, we're on our way, right? And then we have to go back. That is going to be a little bit of a uh, theme <laughs> we're going to see. Um, and, and that's, of course, what we see in Numbers. Um, also aside from kind of thinking about the location of things, really just to pay attention about the activity of God, um, and how he manifests himself. We saw that there was, um, you know, last time the mention of the pillars of cloud and fire. So what, what's going on with that? We talked about this a little bit at the end, uh, but kind of thinking about how does that stack up with what we saw with the plagues, with creation. So pay attention to the elements. What does that say about what gods of Egypt Um, God is defeating, right? Since this is back in Egypt now. So uh, thinking about the elements, uh, very very key, uh, both in terms of uh, Egypt and uh, its false gods, and then also in terms of uh, just the the actual uh, creation account that we have. So uh, all good things to be looking out for here. Uh, Let's go ahead and get started here. We've got Exodus chapter 14 in the English standard version. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haharoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of baal zephon and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what's this that we've done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea by pi in front of baal When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us uh, taken us, out into the wilderness to die? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness.'" And Moses said to the people, "'Fear not. Stand firm.'" And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground." and i will harden them and i will harden the hearts of the egyptians so that they shall go in after them and i will get glory over pharaoh and all his host his chariots and his horsemen and the egyptians shall know that i am the lord when i have gotten glory over pharaoh his chariots and his horsemen then the angel of god who was going before the host of israel moved and went before went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of egypt and the host of israel And there was a cloud and darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all of the host of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. So like I was saying, I mean, really, really interesting between the mentions of uh, dry ground that occurs several times. Well, to talk about what the significance of that is, it might not be what we suspect. Um, you talk about the walls of water, all the stuff about water. Uh, you got the mention of the wind that God actually causes this, this, uh, this wind to be blowing and and to divide the land, um, and then also the the light and the darkness separating them. So a number of different elements all involved here. Uh, And I've been told here that, yes, we... We did uh, get our guest. Uh, we've got him today. So glad we were able to. Uh, we've got Pastor David Boies-Claire, one of our our faithful regulars here. It's always a pleasure to be reading along with him here. Pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Good morning, brother. Uh, good to have you with us. We just read the chapter through, and I was just pointing out to everybody how it, just in this in this chapter, it really does feel like a great uh, way to cap the plague series. Um, Just with just over all the elements, God demonstrating His mastery and just bringing all of everything that was building up to in the plagues just to a big conclusion right here.
1: Yes, can you hear me?
0: I I can hear you just fine. Excellent. Oh, great.
1: Oh, we're we're connected. Yes, Um, I I did I did quite a bit of study on this. It's what's interesting about it is, is that God's in charge here. He's, he's the one that is guiding the people. although the Egyptians get the wrong impression. They think that they're uh, just wandering aimlessly out there or or, are trying to run away from Egypt.
0: Yeah, no, that's, it's really interesting how we, we, we have that more in this, in this story, how the Egyptians, they, they get the wrong idea. Um, and, and there's this kind of confusion about that, and, and the hardening of the heart, right? And it's a kind of a unique instance of the hardening of the heart because, uh, I mean, the the actual uh, phrase that we get in the English translation, anyway, is that they they actually change their mind. Which <laughs> it's like, hang on a second, I thought they'd never were going to change their minds about anything. <laughs> but um, but that's that's really fascinating, right? How you have that after it seems like Pharaoh's mind is unchangeable, God changes it.
1: And, and it's just so uh hard to understand uh when when they're faced with what they are faced with when they come after them uh you know they're faced with that uh, the fiery pillar uh the cloudy fiery pillar they're also uh faced with a wind that's in their faces they, they you know and then they uh the israelites are crossing the the uh, red sea and and um and then they then they just stupidly go right in after them
0: well yeah and and then we should we should talk about okay so (laughs) why do they go in after them and why would that have all seemed like a good idea um yeah (laughs) i uh i I remember when i was uh when i was younger uh there were there were well i had a number of uh, cartoons that i really liked but there was one uh warner brothers cartoon in particular And uh, there was this little sketch that they did in the middle of the cartoon called Good Idea, Bad Idea. And it was always, like, (laughs) really obvious, like, good idea versus bad idea. Um, It it was was just kind of, like, along the lines of, you know, like, just something that was manifestly like okay that's that's a fine innocent thing and then like once you reverse it and just kind of change like one word it's like okay that that would that's clearly a bad idea um and it seems like kind of comical or cartoonish right almost where you're just like oh hey let me take my chariots down into that um like it it can seem like a cartoon and yet um i'm not sure yeah like i'm not we'll have to talk about what what the perspective that we're trying to be given here i guess in exodus is
1: and and um, of course, it it's it's God was intent on on uh, basically visiting judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt, and um, uh, in 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 this particular case, it's it, it just like when they have hardened hearts, uh, probably they they do stupid things. <laughs> this is
0: yeah. Yeah, well, we'll we'll have to we'll have to take a look at that, and, and maybe we'll even make some more references to good idea, bad idea. But uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So one thing at a time here, though. So when we're when we're looking at chapter fourteen, um, the, the first thing we mentioned this year is another bit about the geography, right? So you know, God has them go out into the wilderness, right? Um, and it seems like where this is very much like anticipating, like, okay, we're coming out to the wilderness. We're going to be worshiping God. Like we've been, uh, like Moses was asking this whole time, we're gonna, um, you know, be on our way to the promised land. Right. And then he tells him to go back, um, you know, back to Egypt. So, you know, so what, what's, what's the move here? Why, why would, why would you bother, you know, going, going forward and then coming back like this and, um, you know and then, and then, like you were saying, like you know Pharaoh gets, this, gets the wrong idea, he thinks they're confused, so how how is this tying together uh, these first few verses here, the, the almost you might say the strategy that God seems to be employing?
1: Well, he's trying to spare the Israelites from uh, unfortunately the the shortcut to, to Canaan, of course, is along the uh, Mediterranean Sea there, and uh, there are uh, forts, Egyptian forts along the way, there's also the Philistines that are also uh in in the path and and so uh and in a sense perhaps that is kind of mentioned as God's thinking in uh rerouting them to the to like a hard right they They didn't really go back to Egypt. they were just going uh south toward um uh Mount Sinai, and then of course south toward the Red Sea and um and and so in a sense he he was avoiding uh that co- military confrontation that that would be there uh and 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 again I, I, god was not through working with his people but he was totally totally in control of them in 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 a, a miraculous way
0: right yeah, well yeah no that it, it is interesting how on the one hand in chapter 13 we're told that God wants to to spare them the discouragement of having to possibly be in a war situation with the with the Philistines, and as you mentioned, perhaps even like Egyptian forts that were along the way. And yet, on the other hand, he forces them into a military situation, <laughs> right? Right oh. here. And uh, you well, know, yeah, and it's it, like
1: it's going right into a trap. I mean, uh, there's 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 mountains in the area, and then right. you got the Red Sea in front of you, or the the arm of the Red Sea that would be like the western Arm of the Red Sea that's there, Suez, the Gulf of Suez, right? And um, and and uh, of course, uh, you know, some critics, of course, say that they, that he they probably the uh, Red Sea or the Reed Sea, Yam Suf, which is what the Hebrew word for it was, the right. Bitter Lake, or or the or these other lakes, uh, water w- waterways that were up to the north that they went that way, but yeah. that that doesn't seem like obvious because they're on their way to Sinai. They're on their way to uh the mountain of God.
0: Well, yeah, and we and we talked about that maybe a little bit last time that you know this this is a bit of an ongoing debate whether th- th- we are to be locating this like on the Red Sea, which is a rather massive body of water, or or whether this is a, a smaller uh body of water, you know, and and and, and right, the the term itself Yam Suf is uh not not actually clearly pointing in one direction or another, um, you know, it's just right. I mean, Yom Sufis, is. If, if anything, it's almost like a uh, a natural description of what it looked like. You know, it was a body of water that had a bunch of reeds, um, <laughs> which I mean, that could have been a lot of things. Um, you know, and, and we and we of course we know how you know the Sea of Galilee, which is you know like a, a lake, right? Is called a sea. So I mean, sea is a is a very broad term. Could be anything from Sea of Galilee to uh, you know the Mediterranean. Um, so yeah, the, the, the text itself in terms of the terminology isn't, isn't a hundred percent, um, unambiguous from our perspective anyway, being so far removed from it. But regardless, it is interesting how that from Pharaoh's perspective, it looks like they're confused. It looks like they've, they've lost their nerve. Um, that, that I think it was in chapter 13, I'm trying to recall where, where it was here. Might've actually even been earlier in chapter 12, but. We get this comment that they leave Egypt equipped for battle. No, there there it was, actually. It was uh, in chapter 13, in verse—we kind of went right over this—verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. So, I mean, that's really interesting. If God has no intention for them to um, actually do battle, because he's going to turn them away— right? But they go out looking like that. I mean, so and that's really interesting then because I think that kind of builds up to it. It's as if kind of all of this really is to just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a way of speaking, it's to kind of just mess with Pharaoh because he sees them leave right. all battle ready and he's like, okay, well, I guess that's what they're going to do. They're going to you know, go by the sea route, and okay, that's what they're gonna do, so they're off they go. But then, when he gets this report that they moved away from that, he's like, "Oh, they've lost their nerve they They must not really be ready for battle, actually. Well, here's my chance, right I mean, so I mean so that that's the bottom line is that this maneuver has enticed Pharaoh, and he's taking the bait,
1: yes. And and um, you know you wonder how how does he get this intelligence? But I mean, he probably has scouts that are uh, you know right in that area. There are Egyptian forts in the area, so they know they will know what their movements are. And like you, I think you were very insightful by saying that God is basically maneuvering Pharaoh into this,
0: right? And and it's it's just like we uh, what, what you pointed out here. It's so that God gets this glory. So I mean, he he wants this confrontation. To happen, and so so then we want to look at the last couple bits of this this opening sequence here, which you know, okay, in verse four we've got this term, you know, I um, will harden Pharaoh's heart. So, I mean, that's the first term for hardening that that make it strong, right? So, empowering his resolve or something like this, you know, um, that makes strong word. Uh, but what's what's interesting here? Is that you, you've got then the the comment that their minds are are changed right, which which I think is the only time that we have in our English translation uh, this difference, and that's that's there in in verse five. So this is I guess just to indicate in terms of the English translation that you know he had previously given them permission to go. But now it's like, I'm taking it back. <laughs> and uh, what, what what's interesting is as much as a, a, a change, as this seems in the narrative, um, it's kind of actually like uh, the same sorts of words in the Hebrew. Uh, because in in the word mind that you have, it's actually in the Hebrew, it's, it's heart again. Which I, right. I got to wonder, like to myself, so for all of the trying to like consistently translate this, it's weird that we kind of translate it differently on this one
1: verse. it's interesting the king james version uses the word repent. Uh, uh, yeah. so it's sort of like a it's sort of like a negative repentance. i mean mm-hmm. they repented uh you know or basically just simply uh followed the lord in order to 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 have him stop killing them. <laughs> and then uh so then 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 the people were released and then now they're now they're repenting in the other way a devil's mm-hmm. repentance you might say
0: yeah yeah well no it's um it's it certainly i mean it parallels i think that the greek word for repentance which is that 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 change of heart or a change of mind idea right yes um, I, 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 like, I like what you're saying, though, devil's repentance. This is an intriguing uh, way of looking at it. We, we want to talk about that a little bit more, but it's time for our break. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at Exodus chapter 14 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back.
2: I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Sexual discrimination has been illegal since 1964, but last week the Supreme Court changed the definition of sex to include gender identity and orientation. The implications of this landmark decision are enormous. I discuss this with Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney Kate Anderson Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO.
0: You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Good morning again, everybody who might be just joining us. Um, Welcome back, everybody who was following along in the first half. I know we've already got some questions here, so we're going to turn to those in just a minute. Um, We've got Pastor David boies joining us, pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches. Uh, in Pinelon, Missouri, as we go over Exodus chapter 14, the Red Sea crossing here. If you've got a question or comment for us, um, again, just those numbers, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Also, the email address, kfuo at kfuo.org, or the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. I I don't know if you need the dot or not. AJ dot Espinosa is how I see it. But in any case, uh, yeah, we were just looking at this um, his change of heart, and uh, I like what what Pastor Boyce Claire said this devil's repentance here. Um, okay, and I want to I want to get back to that, but we do actually we had it over the break we had a, a question come in a caller here. Um, so yeah, we got Paul here on the line. So Paul, yeah, you have, you have a question or a comment here in Exodus fourteen for us?
3: Yeah, uh, the it's a about Pharaoh's bad decision to go into the Red Sea. Sure, um, I think if we, if we look at it from Pharaoh's perspective, you know, all the plagues were kind of, they're hitting Pharaoh where it can't really fight back. And now you he, he said, here's my chance. I think that really gets to it. You know, the, the dynasty, I forget the number of dynasty in Egypt, but the one that is, it was a really successful military dynasty. And, you know, he has all of his chariots, it has his chosen chariots. Uh, yep. So, you know, as his crack troops going there and you, with the Israelites ready for battle, you know he would have scoffed at that, laughed at that. And uh, God's doing it this way. There's going to be a battle, but this is a way that God can destroy all of Pharaoh's army without the Israelites doing anything. If they went and fought the Philistines or fought the forts, the Israelites would have probably had to do more. There's a prolonged campaign here. There's a chance to knock all of them out in one, one shot and uh, for God to really deliver His people that way. So, from Pharaoh's perspective, charging after them is
0: a good idea,
3: uh, but it shows how much he's been uh, uh, ambushed yeah. by God. There.
0: Yeah, yeah, Paul. Th- thanks, for that comment. I'm, I'm inclined to agree that that this really actually does seem like a good idea from Pharaoh's perspective. Um, you know, we got to we got to remember that well, how did Exodus open up, right? There's this problem that the pharaohs have, and it's like, hang on a second, these people are too numerous. And there's this real concern that they're going to go join themselves with uh, their enemies, which could be a political problem for for Egypt. And so you you, kind of wonder what pharaohs actually trying to do here, you know, what his end game is. You know, sometimes you wonder, like, so what's that dog going to do when it actually catches the car? Like, what's the plan? Um and, and so I was thinking about that and I'm like well I don't know I mean it, it seems like he's set on like killing them of course um you know what what's really the, the what to be gained there and I guess as I thought about it more I'm like you know what at the beginning of Exodus what do he say you know uh, yeah you well, let's get rid of the males right let's get rid of the baby boys I wonder if the goal here is he's going to get rid of the males like he always has been. He's going to throw their bodies into the Red Sea, which is what he wanted to do in the beginning of Exodus. And then he's going to take the women uh, and take them back to Egypt, and he still has his slaves then. Uh, I mean, it seems like this is just Pharaoh going back to what he had wanted to do in the very beginning. So. Um so you mm-hmm. know, I mean so yeah so I think it is enticing and tempting for him cuz it's a way to get what he wanted the whole time. Pastor boys what what are what are your thoughts? Like what do you, what do you think Pharaoh's trying to do here?
1: Well obviously he's he who is going to build his cities. Um this was yeah. probably Ramesses the Second, who was a, a, the uh, in the New Kingdom of Egypt uh, in I think he uh ascended the throne in uh, 1290 BC. Um, and it had to be some, uh, so at some time around then because that's when the Philistines, you know, was like in around uh, 1200 BC that the Philistines, were, which were known as the Sea Peoples, had, had uh, conquered Canaan or m- much of Canaan. And, um, uh, you know, this is like the greatest pharaoh. Of Egypt in in yeah. Egyptian history and and again it I, I would I would think it's also like embarrassing that they're saying well we need we need to um, uh, you know reassert ourselves but I think that's a very good insight that uh, they would probably kill all of the men men especially Moses and yeah. uh, that they would bring the children and the women back to Egypt
0: yeah well and you you almost wonder too if if Pharaoh was already contemplating something like that earlier we remember towards the end of their negotiations he said like well how about you just take the men the men you guys can just go into the wilderness and worship and then your your women and your little ones and your your, your flocks and, and that can all stay here you wonder if Pharaoh was already up to that right like if that was yeah. in his in his mind at that time but so so yeah so it's interesting though because i mean with that that verb there for change it only occurs a few times in exodus and it occurs when the staff of Aaron gets turned into a snake um, it, it happens when the river of the Nile is turned into blood, and it happens when the wind is trans uh, is turned in direction so that the locusts are no longer over Egypt but are thrown into the Red Sea, which is just really interesting because all of those hints, right, were all hints about the Red Sea happening, right? That that it <clears throat> the, the the cool thing that we didn't really have a chance to talk about is that when Aaron's staff turns into a serpent, that's not the normal snake word. That's that's the word tan. Uh, it's it's tanin they're They're sea monsters um they're they're monstrous serpents, so this this is an image of being uh, swallowed up by the sea, um, bodies in the water in the Nile, or uh, the locusts getting thrown into the Red Sea. So this word that his mind has been changed back to what it was originally is already a big, very ominous hint about how this is going to turn out. Um, just wanted to make sure we got that in there because we didn't have a chance to talk about it before, but we have James, who has been patiently waiting on the line. He sent in some email questions, and I do want to take a look at those, but uh, yeah, good to have you on the phone and always kind of just be able to talk voice to voice here. So good morning, brother. What do you got for us this morning?
2: Hello, Pastor. Um, I have a, a question for you as the moderator and yep. uh, one for our good pastor. Sure. Um, I'd like to do our good pastor first. Sure. I'd like for him to uh, tell me, uh, when we study this this particular uh, chapter in the text, is the perspective to be man against man, man against nature, or man against God? And also, Pastor, uh, why were the Egyptian servants in this text, who were recently evangelized, uh, now opposed to the Hebrews leaving? mm
0: mm-hmm.
2: And my question for the moderator is, uh, is being evangelized by fear less effective than being evangelized through compassion and love, uh, specifically in the case of Pharaoh and his servants? Yeah. And uh, and as for today, as for an application, is the most important way in soul winning, uh, is it through fear or through compassion and grace? And I'll hang up and listen.
0: Thanks, James. Those yeah. are those are some really good questions, and I, and I know that um, when we were looking at chapters, I think I think it was like back in eleven and twelve, um, you had asked a question similarly about um, about that evangeliz- evangelization, and and I tr- I tried to make sure that we could talk about that a little bit then, but it's good to talk about it a little bit more now. But yeah, Pastor Boyce, Claire, do you want to take a stab at that, that first question that James had for you, or I guess kind of that first pair of questions?
1: Yes, yes, he was asking about uh, whether it was man against man, or man against the elements, or man against God. Right. Uh, in this particular case, obviously, it's man against God. In the case of Pharaoh and and God and Yahweh, and uh, of course, the Israelites are completely led by and it and in it, even at the beginning of this chapter, it says Yahweh will fight for you, and so uh, you know, in other words, it's God is is uh, choosing. And protecting and guiding his people, and so Pharaoh, of course, is has allowed himself or in this particular case, as a judgment of God, his heart is hardened and and he's irrational. I mean this these actions of the Egyptians are totally irrational, and they're and they're also uh, you know obviously on the side of the devil, which of course is the side of the Egyptian gods, because all of this is is God's judgment upon Egypt. Uh, for its idolatry, it's uh, you know, and, and and it's just standing in the way of God's intention of of uh, creating His people so that He can bring the Messiah into the world. And so, um, uh, you know, that that's, that's and as far as evangelizing them, there there's no uh, that is not really the point here, I don't think, because I think it's a matter of rescuing his people and, and, uh, in, in visiting Egypt with judgment. Um, uh, you know, it's used a lot of times, this whole scenario is, is used like in the, uh, you know, in the apocalypse of the new Testament, you know, if you re- yeah. it, it really, in order to understand revelation at the end of the Bible, you need to read Exodus Yeah, uh, you, uh, because there's so much stronger connection. And I also commend you, uh, Pastor Espinosa, that you're looking at the Psalms in connection yeah. with Exodus because that dovetails with all of this. And, and so, um, and, and so in, this, in this particular case, it's, it's God, he wants his people. He has chosen his people and he wants to bring them into the wilderness to speak to their hearts. He wants to give them his, his law and also show him their, his grace.
0: Yeah, that's well said, Pastor Boyce-Claire, and I, I, I thank you and also want to commend you for all of your support of uh, Thy Strong Word in coming back, actually, this this week as we take a look at a special uh, look during uh, the KFUO share this week. Uh, Thursday and Friday, to be looking at Psalm 78. That is really cool. Um, I've been wanting to do this, to take a look at some psalms that actually just tie into the text, and Psalm 78 is a really cool one, the way it talks about the plagues, and, and it it only focuses on certain ones, and that's just going to be a really interesting thing to take a look at. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to Thursday a, a lot. Um, I, I think that your answer, you know, about the evangelization is is good that... You know, I I think that sometimes we fall into a a really kind of modern way of thinking and and we kind of think about it all in terms of like, well, kind of the the guiding ethic of faith ought to be the most, kind of get the most souls in the door, right? And, And it's sort of like everything that we do, the bottom line is like, how do we get the most souls baptized? And that's, uh, the the problem with that is as good as it might seem is that it sort of demands that you have the knowledge of God <laughs> for that to actually be an effective ethic. You you have to actually know right like exactly what's going to convert people and what isn't, which which is just a not not a set of knowledge that we humans really have access to. Um, exactly. So it, it doesn't it doesn't really work out as as a as a way of of trying to guide the church, and so it ends up being really misguided. When we try to make all our decisions based on like what we think is going to win the most souls, it's like, you know, that may or may not work, but like we don't have a, um, a crystal ball here. And so what you do see um, is that it's a mixed multitude, as we've been saying, which is to say that in this group um, that is Israel, they already have a number of Egyptians who have turned their back on Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, and they're now Israel— and I think that's important to see the way that the text talks about this, because the text doesn't say like, you know, oh, well, you know, there's there's Israel and then the Egyptian converts, and then there's uh, the Egyptians who are stubborn. It doesn't talk that way. It just says there's Israel and there's Egypt, because if you're in Israel at this point, remember, right, that means that you celebrated Passover. That means uh, your house was circumcised um, if you did that. There is no distinction. They are as much of Israel— as the people who can trace their ancestry back to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and the rest, so I, I exactly. do think and there is an evangelistic thrust in, in the sense of joining, right? But it, it's not in the way that we frame it today. But go ahead.
1: Well, and 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 interesting that uh, there is provision in in the um, well, the writings of Moses, you know, the Pentateuch, for a, a person who is not. A, uh, a descendant of Jacob to uh, right. become a part of the people of Israel. And, and, and in fact, they, they are told to um, honor the Egyptians because the Egyptians were hosts to them at the time of, of uh, Jacob and Joseph. And so, you know, they're, it, it definitely that's, that's in mind there. And, and it, the, that's kind of like the universality of the people of God. God's intention is for it to embrace all people. Now, of course, in the, uh, you know, there's the concern about purity of doctrine and and practice among God's people. And so they often say that the uh, people who are not pure Israelites are a snare to them and and prove to be a snare. But there's that tension between that and God's ultimate goal to bring all people to Christ.
0: Uh, Amen. So the, the thrust is already there, even if it's not in the terms that are so readily recognizable to us. So I mean, so yeah. Getting back to James's question, I mean, I, I think you know, it's um, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that like the, the term "winning souls" itself is like a bad term or something. It's uh, one that is used in the New Testament, right? So it's fine. Yes. Um, if you if you use it the right way, uh, I think that the that the point overall is that uh, this should be a reminder to us that it's it's less about you know, how do we as, as kind of masters of the church, um, you know, shape and, and and reform and retool everything to be effective? It's less about that, and it's, it's more about that just faithful reliance on, on what you were saying, Pastor boyce about what God's already provided, because he's already provided for all the different scenarios that we might encounter. So, uh, you know, being faithful, going back to the word that he has spoken— And just relying on what he's already giving us, uh, I I think, is maybe the the, kind of the bigger thing to be looking at when you're trying to look at how do we, you know, share the good news. Because God's already working on that. So, like, how do we join him and be faithful to what he's already doing rather than try to come up with something new? So maybe <laughs> exactly
1: uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the preaching yeah. of Christ. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, we join with him by proclaiming the great deeds of God in the world. And yeah. so, and that that's, that's what the way it was in Pentecost. And that's the way it is right up to now. And uh, the Holy spirit is active in the means of grace. And, and that's something that's important to remember.
0: Yeah. So so going going back to the text here. So you know Pharaoh he goes in he thinks it's a good idea. This isn't one of these um, this isn't one of these good idea bad idea things, right? So so okay I found I found some examples of this of this silly thing, right? So some examples: whistling while you work, good idea, bad idea. Whistling while you eat, and then it would show the person like gagging and choking, right? Um, Or you know like what 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 was another one here? It was like um uh oh yeah play, playing piccolo in the marching band good idea bad idea playing piano in a marching band and it shows like someone like you know like, with this piano like falling to pieces and there's like keys all over the place and um you know the tuba gets stuck in the you know so it's like so yeah no this isn't a cartoon here um pharaoh has good reason to try to like execute on this plan that he's been wanting to execute the whole time um and so he goes in um taking his best you know because he has this intelligence right um but the thing is we we already know just from the ominous description here how this is going to end um this this was this was the trap um in a lot of ways that and, and it's not like it's unfair cuz what pharaoh wanted gods just giving him over to be swallowed up by the serpent to have the water be turned uh, red like with blood to have the locusts driven into the sea this is what he asked for Th- think about that right you know he asked to have the the locusts driven away into the sea, so he's he's getting what he wanted here, and, and so you've got this now, um, and even though there's this kind of perspective of faith that's like, well, hey, this is all kind of working out according to plan, isn't it fascinating? The people of Israel, however, are scared, right? They they look up. It says and they feared greatly. They see the Egyptians. But this is this is key, because we get back to the seeing theme all over again, right? Um, like, what, what are they seeing? What are they looking at? What should they be seeing? And, and, and I think this middle section is just all about the seeing in, in a very profound way, so that it's not just kind of literally, what are you looking at, guys, but uh, the whole purpose, again, of the plague sequence and of Exodus.
1: Well, the children of Israel are doing now what they're going to do all for through the next 40 years. They're going to take God for granted. You know, here he takes us out into the wilderness. Well, how are we going to eat? Why are we what are we going to drink? Um, And, you know, it's interesting if you, you know, sometimes the the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston from 1956, it's interesting, Dathan comes up and says, how long is the fire going to hold Pharaoh? You know, here you have God <sighs> fighting for you, and then you yeah. have people taking him for granted. You know, in a sense, it's, it's just, it's so uh, hypocritical. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's sort of like, well, we get some good stuff here. Well, then, then uh, now, now we don't want to stay with God in the bad times mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and the uh, disadvantage. Another thing about the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh has chosen to be against God and against yeah. his people. So he is ripe for judgment. And that's that's kind of what's going on.
0: Yeah, you know, that, that's right. And uh, th- that is interesting then, because when you do have in verse 13, where it says, I mean, there's this command, it's this imperative form here. Um, See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Um, for the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. Um a, as a part of that
1: Yeah, the word there is is the same as the name of yep. Jesus. That's see right. the see yep. Jesus.
0: <laughs> that's 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 right. So I mean there there is this there's this thing that um when, when God talks about his salvation, he wants people to see it. Um so that that is more than just playing a trick on Pharaoh, ultimately um, you know, here, here's your her evangelistic thrust, really, to James, right? He's bringing them back to Egypt, and, and to to your point, it's not necessarily they're they're backtracking, but uh, the the point being that at least in terms of like the the political uh, domain at that time, that they would have perceived it as them going back to Egypt, whether you know that was geographically yes. the case or not, but they would have perceived it that way, that like, hey, now they're they're back on like you know Egyptian home turf. So that this is being done in the sight of the Egyptians, right? And so, in, in the same way that you know God transforms the Nile into blood, or the staff into a, a sea monster serpent, um, changes the the locust uh, driving wind in, into a different direction. This is all being done in the sight of the Egyptians. So yes, it's 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 that the the people of Israel would know, but that Egypt. Would would know that they would see as as well, and, and so I mean that that's that's where you get in the New Testament this whole idea of you know there's there's going to be this salvation, like you were saying, you know Yehoshua um, in Jesus Christ, but he's not going to just bring salvation in a corner. This isn't the Gnostic gospel where he whispers mysteries into a few people's ears. No, the the salvation is worked for all to see because he's lifted up on a cross where they put him on the the. Skull Hill at the, this busy intersection for everybody to see with this big sign above his head. This is all done publicly so that everybody sees it uh, because this is the idea of the evangelism that you're really just pointing to what God has done.
1: Right. Very good. Very good connections here. Yes.
0: So, so we got, we got this, you know, big overarching, um, you know, point here, right? Like, so it's, you know, it is true on the one hand that this is some faithlessness on the part of the people, but um, on the on the other hand, it's. It, I don't think the point is necessarily that we're like hard on them yet, because um, we're going to get there at the very end. What we read? Right, the people. Let's. I mean, let's just you know skip ahead and remind ourselves. Right, this is this is so much like the Gospel of John. It's crazy. Um, I mean, but, but like the Gospels in general. But that at the end there, what's it say about seeing and what seeing does? It's in verse thirty one. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. There it is. They see what happens and they put their faith in him, right? So, I mean, this is why it's ultimately happening. Like he could have just had him keep going, but he had to have them see this moment. And so in the same way, this is like, you know, Jesus, uh, the Lord turning the water into wine and then the disciples put their faith in him. Um, Or, you know, of course, you know, God lifting up His His Son up on the cross, so that people would see it, because you are not going to come to faith until God opens your eyes to it, and He does it, uh, works His salvation in your, I mean, in your sight right before you. Um, and, it, and it's I, so
1: important how Christ uh, and God chose Passover time for yeah. Christ's great passion and and His resurrection, and so. It, it ties into this. No longer is God the one who brought his people out of Egypt, but he is the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead.
0: That's that's right. Well, and then, of course, you know, just that big visible sign that everyone could see, right, on Pentecost then, testifying to his resurrection and ascension. Um but hey, so speaking of, uh, you know, Pentecost um, and, and winds and elements, okay, let, let's just spend the last few minutes here, because I only have a few minutes now, taking a look at these elements, right? So I was mentioning that at the beginning. So you've got this angel of God. Um, so this this pops up here, um, this this term, angel of God. And so you get this, the pillar of cloud uh, moving between these two, and it's interesting, talk about hosts. Um, the, the picture is armies, right? Um, you right. know, you get that term um, throughout. But anyway, so you get these two armies, um, the army of Israel and the army of egypt army of Israel doesn't look like it's going to do so well—but you got got this, this cloud that's controlling day and night, light and darkness, that moves in between them. And what's fascinating, actually, is that in the Hebrew it says, the cloud and the darkness. That is, referring to the same darkness that they saw in the Plague of Darkness— uh, which is which is one of the many signs, actually, that shows how this whole cycle of plagues has been grouped up into groups of three. Um, and that really, it, it's even more than the, the kind of the popular one that you hear about, which starts with blood, and then, uh, I guess, the plague against the firstborn is just all by itself. But you can start with the snake, actually, and group them into groups of three. And then so the last three are darkness, the killing of the firstborn, and the Red Sea, all as a group here where you have this demonstration of God um, in his power over light and darkness. So we're talking about the very beginning of creation. So uh, I I think if this is supposed to be, you know, uh, evoking day one of Genesis 1, right, Um, and this is like what you're supposed to be thinking of, this is really fascinating when you've got this reference to wind, like it says in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God— was over the waters, like swooping or, or, or flying or soaring over the waters. Hovering. And then where everything gets covered at the end, it, it's, it's like Genesis 1 is being undone on Egypt. Ah,
1: yes. And, and, and that's, that's just a really a wonderful manifestation. God is there in, with the cloud, and the cloud's going to be with them through the wilderness and when they build the temple that the cloud will will even be greater than the people the priests can minister in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Because because he's the God of the, the whole creation. And 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 that's I think really where this has all been going to. I mean, again, to the evangelistic thrust, that there, because of what happened in Egypt, they all learned a lesson that there is a God who is not bound by territory, that there's not there's a God that's not just the Canaan, uh, the Canaanite God or the Egyptian God. There's a God who's a God over the whole of creation, and that's what everybody saw. So it, it's all been uh, pointing us to that, that way of opening up everybody's eyes. So thank you so much, brother. Really looking forward to Psalm 78 this week. Um, looking forward to it a lot. Thank you, brother.
1: Yes, and I am real would be really excited to do that.
0: All right. We're going to be doing that Thursday, everybody. So, yeah, join us for that. Moving on to Exodus chapter 15 next time. In the meanwhile, uh, yeah, awesome stuff here. we got the Song of Moses coming up, so they celebrate and they have rest. There's Genesis 1 again. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace.
3: You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.